Hello and welcome to episode 30 of the Surreyor Global Fantasy Football Podcast. This week, myself, Hybe, and you'll never walk alone, are delighted to be joined by experienced fantasy football managers, Hendo Surreyor and SNDNS, to discuss their Surreyor experiences, AC Milan, the new season cards, rookie additions, we'll take a look at game week 154 and a lot more. So guys, it's a pleasure to have you on. Welcome. Thanks very much. Pleasure welcome, to be welcome. here. Hi guys. So we've got Ross Hendo Sarer, and we've got Daryl S N. How am I pronouncing that, Daryl? S N D N S. It's uh, it's actually. What does it stand S-R. for? It's S R. Actually, I think. Um, let me just check. I hope that's a capital R. I mean, it I'd, is, I'd, yeah. I'd hate to see all these come through with the the, the actual correct spelling of uh, you know Sarer with the with the lowercase r. So no, I hope no, you've stuck, stuck with tradition and put in a capital R for no reason whatsoever. It's capital R, S R D are all uh, all capitals and Nez. So obviously D Nez is for the name, but S R is for so rare because I've had this account for different platforms, but now really predominantly only for so rare. It has taken over all the rest, actually. It's taken over your life, has it? Uh, pretty much. Um pretty pretty much, I think. Been suckered in by everything. So yeah. Yeah, I think we, we all have. So well, why don't you start us off then? So normally we, we get guests to give us a, a bit of an introduction, how you found the platform. You, you touched on their coming on from other platforms in, in the past. Maybe you can talk about those as well. Yeah, 100%. Um, I sort of, well, previous to this time last year, really, Twitter was something that I wasn't even bothered with, um, to be honest. But since sort of lockdown of it, done a bit of research around different platforms, one being um, Football Index, um, which I looked into. The concept was great, but just never really, never really grasped it as much as what I have um, for so rare. Um, so I had a, had a look at that and then I kind of stumbled into Footstock off the back of, of that bit of research. And Footstock really was, was great this time last year. I wouldn't I would by no means call myself a, a trader as such, but I've done a lot of trading on uh, Footstock more than anything. I, I did play a bit of bit of the, the tournaments and the roulette and the battles and stuff, and that was all great. But mainly for me, it was the liquidity on the market was what I was enjoying and benefited greatly from that. Then I suppose around June, July time last year, um, I started to slow down. So I moved away from it and kind of stumbled into so rare i think it was i think leads are we passed in my timeline about so rare and got speaking to him which was great he, he gave me a load of help sort of at the beginning um just to help sort of lay the foundations and from that really the other two platforms that i were was part of were put very much in the back burner and so rare kind of became the the front runner for me um just with the, the depth of the, the platform more so than anything. And then really, I well, I try to do a lot of trading or as much trading on it as possible because that's kind of kind of where I get my kicks from it, I guess. I do all right in the tournaments, but I'm not, they wouldn't really be be all and end all for me. It's more as a, a, a whole package and the, the trading element in the discords or even just the discussions on Discord alone um, and Twitter. It's quite, quite good, it's quite quite engaging actually i find it engaging so yeah that's kind of where i've I've stumbled from one platform into the next but i think i'll be around on so rare for for as long as possible um, or as long as i see fit really 
No, excellent, excellent. And you touched on depth there. Were you meaning in terms of the ability to, to look at players in, in different leagues compared to the other platforms that you'd been on before, or was it something else? Yeah, it's yeah. Well, the the platform in terms of what it provides. So, like with other with other platforms that I was part of, it's it's very much top five leagues or only Premiership on on what was the two previous platforms and. That was great for me because I had absolutely zero knowledge on anything outside of that until so rare came along and now I find myself if I wake up early in the morning I'm checking J League scores um and I'm checking who's been playing and I'm checking um Belgian football. I, I could name most of the, the team, most of the players' positions, sort of average scores, which is just mad in comparison to what I'd previously uh, known but then I think obviously so rare as it's sort of parallel for research with so rare data and that's I know um, there's a lot of information in so rare um, data and it can be very overwhelming and it was for me at the start I didn't have a, a clue really where to start um, with um, so rare data but that element of depth in terms of research, historical data, the amount of players on the, the platform, like I know it's been battered about, it's expensive to get on so rare, you can't do it on a budget, but you, you can if you're willing to put in the time. I by no means invested a lot of money into to so rare and I've built a collection based on trading really. To me is, like I said, where I I've kind of got my kicks and I would sort of publish the majority, most of my, my trades go on Twitter and I've had people asking how you do it and stuff. And it's not rocket science. It's just time. It takes time to do a bit of research. And um, I think the depth of, of SoRare from the perspective of the amount of players, the different leagues, and what you can actually do, especially with uh, one shot coming along now as well, which has been brilliant. You've got that side of depth it keeps building and it's community built it's not it's not just about the company building the platform actually i think as a community um like what goes on here what so rare data are doing you've got info as well so there's a lot of different um community based assists i guess or assistance and which is really the, the the depth of what i like in comparison to what i was on previous because twitter can be pretty toxic um and i don't find it is this is that got with with so rare it's encouraging that you said that uh you, you you're getting into the depth and say from belgian football to to japanese football it's interesting that whilst your journey as you you know confess there you've, you've been on twitter just for just a year or so now yeah none of your uh, intro there mentions ethereum crypto getting involved so you, you didn't feel that that was about do you have any crypto experience prior to uh, prior to Surya? um to be completely honest i would still say i have zero experience of crypto because i personally i don't really think about it and i probably should but i don't think about it because i have no real intention at the minute of withdrawing um, any sort of cash i could sell my collection, but I would be keeping it in there. I would be changing my collection. If I was to sell the, the entire collection in the morning, I wouldn't be withdrawn. I would be using what I have to build 
maybe a, a different angle on my, my gallery. So I, at the very, very beginning, so I signed up on the 29th of June, I think was when I opened my account. I didn't actually become active until the end of November, which obviously I'm now kicking myself for because how good it is and, and how much I enjoy it now. And obviously I would have reaped the benefits of joining earlier. Crypto would have been one of the off-putting factors for me at, at that point. But now that I understand how good the platform is and, and that it's not actually that complex. So I've never used Coinbase. I've never used Binbalance. I've never used any of those. I've always bought the players that I want with my credit cards or debit card. And then just that money has been turned into Ethereum for trading. And I haven't done any form of withdrawal or deposit. So for me, I, I guess that's another, I guess that is another layer of, of depth but it's not something that I've really thought about because I would only think about it if I was going to withdraw um, and I have no real intention of doing so. I think the, the value of what is there, for me anyway, the value of what is there is only worth the value once it's withdrawn because, and we've seen it in the last few weeks, um, what's going on around different platforms. You don't, and I've heard a few people saying it, you don't actually have what's there until it's in your hand. So I don't really value my collection as anything. It's more, I know what's there and I use the numbers to, to trade. That's, it's not been an off-putting factor for me or a benefit of it. Whereas I've spoken to people on Twitter quite a lot over the last week or two who are really into crypto, NFTs, and that's all great. It's just not really something that I've spent the time to be interested in because if I spent the time to be interested in it, it'll probably be another thing that I end up doing and I don't have the time <laughs> to be honest no I mean I, I, I completely commend that and you know it's 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 amazing I mean again as you've touched on you know Twitter you know it's, it's famously toxic at the, at the best of times and you know you can either resist temptation or you can delve in uh, and, uh, and and join in once in a while but it's fascinating that those that seem to be completely against oh no that, that's so rare it's not for me no oof, not for me is that the crypto seems to be the the fail-safe excuse. Yeah, it's crypto or oh, dirty money or oh, it's this, this, this. I, I can't be getting involved in that. Uh, some people will say, oh, it's, you know, I don't want to be, you know, getting involved in, you know, obscure, less less known leagues to be scouting players. But no, I've, I've enjoyed hearing from yourself that that didn't even become, you know, part of it. You took the merits of the platform for itself. You've dabbled in, you know, other platforms before you, you know, ultimately found Sorare. But it was, you know, what Sware represents in terms of the game, the trading, giving you kicks in, say, different regions, different leagues that you may not have seen before or had as much experience in. No time did the, the, the crypto angle, you know, become daunting or perhaps uh, get you to think, well, is, is the other, is, is the benefits of this worth it from, you know, uh, having to learn or, or get involved in the crypto side? That's it. Well, Ross, also an ex-FI and Footstock user, found Sarair quite some time ago now as well. You've been on the platform for a, for a while. When did you join? Hi, guys. Yeah. Um, obviously, don't want to go into the FI and FS stuff too much. It's been sort of talked to death at this point. Um, and obviously, I've been quite vocal on Twitter just how they're they're not really the same thing at all to Sorare. So, yeah, I, I kind of I found Sorare in August, mainly through Quinny. Obviously, we all know Quinny, a uh, big part of the community and does a lot of good stuff. And it was essentially just how, a way to diversify, I think, from other investments so in that respect it's been a pretty good call but yeah initially just sort of learned the ropes didn't put too much money in uh, or just put in the amount I could afford and sort of keep it the same today albeit 
that money buys a lot less Ethereum now, which is a bit of a shame, but hindsight's always twenty twenty. Um, but in terms of just I learned the ropes and then eventually found after finding it quite difficult initially that really enjoyed it brought a completely different aspect to watching football and it really does feel as a global feel as it does describe itself as uh, global fantasy football definitely feels like that and it, it, it makes you really want to put a lot of time and effort into finding little gems from whatever league it is I think uh, yeah I think that was already spoke about just sort of wake up in the morning on a on a Saturday and you're buzzing to see your J-League teams come in and see how your lineups are done so yeah I really really enjoy that aspect of it. And in terms of your journey, I think both of you have seen, you know, enormous changes and strides forward, even though you, you mentioned that you had not uh, really been active in the platform to November. We're already into April 2021 now. There's been so many changes. What have you enjoyed the most along the way? I've enjoyed quite a lot of things. You'll be able to see from the collection, the sort of the profile of the, of the kind of cars that I'm looking for has sort of changed in a way. Uh, I think it was a bit of a scattergun approach to start with, which has worked out quite well for some. There's a few little subsections within the collection that have done better than others. I think MLS is really starting to come to fruition now, which is natural with the league coming back. But yeah, I think I've sort of narrowed in and started to look for a bit more quality. And I think I've mentioned before on either Twitter or somewhere else that, Essentially, what I'm now looking for is cards that have collectible value as well. And I'm, I'm pretty sure you'll be the same, uh, you know, walk alone, just because obviously, I've, well, I know your collection. There's a lot of nice things in there, especially sort of Liverpool contingent. So, you know, all about that sort of collectible aspect. And I think that's that's sort of the bread and butter of the platform. It is it's digital collectibles that have true verifiable ownership. So I really enjoy the fact that it's made me look at this side of, of, of this sort of space, shall we say, the NFT space made me understand that a lot more. It's made me understand the crypto space a lot more. It's made me really see that I feel like that is the future of where we're going. We're, we're, it's, it's already became a digital economy. Everything's done online. I think even now everybody works from home because of the pandemic and stuff like that. So everything's online. And as things migrate more and more and everybody becomes accustomed to it, it's, it's only natural that the things that we join physically will migrate online. I don't see how collectibles would be any different yeah i think the collectible aspect's interesting i mean it, it, it still hasn't taken off and i think you know this i think we are still in the minority in terms of maybe looking at cards and you know maybe trying to see value that isn't quite there at the moment because you know i can understand anybody starting out is going to want to come in and go right i'm going to put x in how can i start to look at getting that x out or start to recoup some of my uh, initial outlay and and the way the platform is structured today it is very much come in and channel your energy towards SO5. And from that perspective, you know, the collectible aspect of the game doesn't need to be taken into consideration. You know, the emphasis, you know, they've, they've tinkered with colours this week on, you know, the, the last five scores that you see immediately under the cards on the, on the transfer market or in your gallery now. And I think there's still a lot more focus on finding, you know, your first five players that are going to play every week, you know, avoid DMPs, get you that 205, 250 points in All-Star Division 4, and then get yourself back on that, right, I'm starting to get my ETH coming back to me now, 0.01, 0.02 every week. To say people then get, you know, build out the collection, right, I'll have another Division 4 team in that region, I'll have another, oh, I can get five in the under-23s now, great, I'll have another team there. But I think at some point, everybody reaches that stage where it's like, well, I don't want to suddenly stop buying cards now because I'm, you know, I mean, I've fallen in love with the game, mm -hmm. but I don't necessarily now need to have cards that are always going to be, you know, this guy's going to get 65, this guy's going to get 70. 
well, he looks quite interesting. Now, this, this is a short print of a card that was from two years ago. Or, oh, look, that guy's got the same number, serial number as his shirt number. And, and I think that is starting to creep a little bit more into the game. There's certainly people coming over from other NFT projects, you know, Topshop being the most obvious one that are, you know, have been brought up on, you know, serial numbers in basketball and, and the importance of these. And, you know, whilst I don't think it has directly found a way into the Surreal marketplace, I'm certainly hopeful that it will, but I think, you know, it's people like us that will determine, you know, whether or not that is something that's here to stay or whether or not it's you know, just passing fad. Yeah, I agree. Absolutely. Uh, there's little bits and pieces that I've noticed online recently. For example, uh, there was a Michael Jordan rookie card, I think. There was a physical card, but in the serial number, it actually had MJ. So it's, it's sort of insignificant to, I'd imagine, the masses, but to the people that actually understand the product and really want to hold that it's something that's maybe a little bit more desirable even something like I th- I've got a, a card a Lucas Zellerian just a rare from his uh, what would be his first season of being minted the Columbus crew won the won the cup they won the MLS cup and the, the number that I've got is 10 out of 100 which is a short number so I've been sort of thinking because I've now got a super rare of them as well so I've been thinking do I want to release a bit of Ethereum have a bit of a balance and sell him off and then I keep thinking well he's an American card there's a chance that if there's an influx of American users they might look for something like that like his short number in the cup winning thing so it's, it's just something to keep an eye on Sorry Ross you said that you might, they might look for that I think we've talked about it in the the past about having the ability to be able to display that and actually sell those unique elements of these individual cards because to the the untrained eye they're all very similar but we know a lot of them they come with a a bit of a story or there's there's more to that particular card to a collector and say if you have a Columbus crew fan fan there who was at that game really big fan of Zalarian then that's Mm -hmm. it that's absolutely the type of card that they're potentially going to look to pay a premium for if you had some way. And I know you can do an open sea and another third party sites, but I think mm-hmm. we see more ability to be able to, to really showcase within potentially our own galleries or else, elsewhere and that kind of thing in the future. So I think you're right there. And obviously it's, it's then our responsibility if we are selling that card to then tell the story. It's the same as having any physical collectible. If, if there's no backstory and it's not being told, let's just say you had a football boot or a pair of football boots that belong to a player and you managed to get them through whatever means that you got them through. I think with the backstory and then that being passed on to the next person that's sold to and the next person and so on and so on, it, it, it holds some sort of sentimental value with the with the object. And I think that'll be the same for the cards when we come around to selling them. If you don't tell the story, it's just another card to someone. But if you can That's portray it. that to somebody else and the person who you're portraying it to understands that, then it, it could infinitely increase the value of whatever you're selling. See, that's yeah. something that I've never really considered, but now you've got me thinking I need to go through my gallery, check the serial numbers, check shirt numbers, check all of that, because I've just never really, never actually thought about it from that perspective. Um, it's always been, I have an asset, I can sell that asset for X amount of profit or return on investment, or I have an asset that I can use to win me Ethereum or cards. So I guess I, I, I've been kind of ignorant to the collectible side of it, which in hindsight was probably pretty silly, but here we are, we live and learn. Well, it's, it's funny you should say that because I don't think it's silly in any sense because right now, what does the market pay for? And say, so what do you pay for? If you're looking yeah. for a card tomorrow 
and you've, you know, let's say tonight you find a guy that you've got on your team's got COVID or is injured or, you know, the suspension that you've missed and you're going into tomorrow with a team of four and you're thinking, right, well, I need a fifth person. There's no point in me wasting a lineup here. You know, you're not going to suddenly go and look for a guy that's, you know, got a matching shirt number or is a one of a hundred or, or what happens. You're going to be looking for you know, the best output that you can get for, you know, the smallest, the smallest outlay to give yourself a chance of winning. Uh, and that yeah. realistic, that really is the only thing that the market pays for at the moment. You know, a lot of us have got, you know, quite quirky cars. Some have got misspelling. Some have got badge errors. Some, you know, shirt errors. There, there are plenty of cards out there with, with, a, with their backstory to tell, as you said there, Ross. But uh, we don't have anything like eBay to go and have a, a couple of paragraphs where we can try and <laughs> sell it to the next person that might also like that same quirk that uh, you found of interest. And, you know, right now, the only thing that's interesting for the majority of people I speak to is if the, if the person is on form, if the person's on form and this person looks like they're going to get 65 plus next game week, then I'm going to sink some money into them. I'm not sinking money into that person because he's got the wrong flag uh, from his nationality or something like this. Um, but when the dust settles and we've got a mature marketplace uh, and then you start looking back, you know, ultimately the, it's the players that have gotten through, you know, uh, a checkered career that's, you know, trophy laden career that's likely to be the ones that stand out more than others but there are going to be some other stories to tell and and hopefully there'll be some collector challenges as well that uh, will get us all looking a little bit more and and, and perhaps having you know even if it is five percent or ten percent of our collection um that may be not so form orientated i don't know yeah i was just you just touched on it there but one of the the really good things and I think it's it's good at we bit volatile but I think it's good is form can really dictate the price of a player um so like someone who's out of form the likes of just off uh Mkhitaryan from Roma off the top of my head was going through the mid sort of 2.5 to 3.5 ish Ethereum last over two weeks ago just before he got injured he's now what's well, what not point one five ish? Um, so like obviously he's not playing his form, but I think that's going to probably be even more noticeable now, with the way they have put the the last five scores underneath the cards. That may play with the values of some of the players if you sort of have your like you just said there, you have your player who only wants to buy someone for the next game week, or um, if someone's in form. And they can see that without actually doing any research, it could really drive demand or, or suppress demand based on on how well someone has played. Maybe against the, their last three games could be the bottom three teams in the league and they've had three good games and all of a sudden their average score is a green colour and someone sees the green instantly. and, and All, of, all maybe, of a sudden he's turned into Jesse Lingard overnight. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But that, that's what I mean. So I think that was a, a good point, actually, is that demand changes very quickly for players um, and the prices at the minute anyway, especially with the, the onboarding of, of new managers is really sort of playing havoc with my trading, if I'm honest. Mm-hmm. I, I, I think I, I, the position has changed how people look at, at certain players. There's a, definitely a lot that I would have previously skipped over that I'm now looking at because they've got oh, maybe a, a green 47 score and that'll make me look into them a bit more. Um, but maybe I should have been taking that time beforehand, but it's making it easier for me to identify players that I might want to take a further look at. But it's also making it easier for, for everyone else. So yeah, 
Fair enough. And then both of you, you know, can you share with us your uh, favourite purchases or most memorable purchases or uh, the uh, absolute do not touch it? Uh, they won't be for sale if anyone approaches you. I think I think you know mine. Um, that, well, there was a few. I think the super rare Stengs is a big one. Stengs, yeah. Um, he's he's a huge one. But I think me and you have a, a little bit of history with the, the two super rare Asians, if you remember, that I bought off you back in the day. Um, and I ended up putting them into an Asia D3 lineup the last game week of the Asian season oh, last Nakatani. year. Nakatani. Yes, and Tanaka, the Tanaka. defender Tanaka. Um, so they both went in and I came first in the Asia D3. Please, please um, don't turn this into an advert for, for me making amazing <laughs> Please, please, you know. Uh, and I, I like to try and carve out a reputation without having to get plugs like this, but uh, please. <laughs> yeah, and then in hindsight, I've pulled out one of the better rewards. I pulled out um, Mitch Langerak, the, the goalkeeper from the Goya. So um, he was my star rare that I got for winning that, and he's just an absolute boss. Nagoya, one of the best defences in the league. In fact, they are the best defence in the league. Four clean sheets out of four, se- four games a season, I think. So, yeah, pretty happy with that one. But in terms of a single player, it would have to be Stengs, I think. he's He's got huge potential. And obviously getting a super rare of him is a pr- quite a big coup. Yeah, very nice price as well. Looking at that, uh, uh, you'd have to you'd have to have the, the game crash to be able to pick it up at uh, 0.847 now. Um, I'd say for me, probably just looking down through my gallery, it, it has to be, and I've never seen a lad kick a football in my life, um, <laughs> but it has to be Magnuson, the centre-back from CSKA. Two reasons. One, he looks absolutely hard as nails. And secondly, he scores so well, just consistently well. You, you're guaranteed, you know what you're going to get. He's a straight-up straight up centre-back. And it's something that I've never really thought about, actually, until this, is I would have always, even previously... Going into something like Sora would have been goalkeeper, defender, midfielder and two attackers go all out, attack and get the goals. But actually, now that I look through the, the scoring and who you can rely on, it's usually defenders. And Magnuson, week in, week out, is in either the, the challenger team or global. Um, first name down on the, on the screen. So and he, he cost me obviously buttons at the time. Um, he still might not be that expensive, but for for me at that point, it was it was one of my more expensive purchases actually. <laughs> Looking at it now, yeah, he's an absolute hero. He just looks real hard in that in that photo. Um, I just got take no nonsense. Yeah, very nice. Now I see him. He's on page one of your uh, before you even chosen your commons on your page. So uh, yeah, he's obviously yeah. been there. Do you think do you think that also plays a part the the amount of time you've owned the card as well? I mean, yeah, no. 100%. 100%. Like, I have, <laughs> I have Jonathan Harris, and he doesn't really do much, let's be honest, but he's not being sold because he only cost me, what, three quid, £3.71 when I bought him, 0.01 ETH. He's not, he never really makes any other team apart from a training team for me because I only really dabble in D4. So he only really makes a training team, possibly if there's a, if there's a midweek. Looking at his last three scores. Yeah, they're pretty know. good. He, he should be someone that maybe should be promoted from training. He, he might actually have to make up um, a centre-back partnership with Magnuson this week as we coming in. But yeah, I think that is, uh, uh, for me anyway, the the sooner or the, I guess the earlier in my so rare experience that I bought a player, the more inclined I am to keep them. And I don't really 
it's fancy selling them on. Just, and just yet, because and yet the, it sounds like experience has nothing to do with that, or the bonus level the card has, uh, has been built up to has nothing to do with that decision. It's more the sentimentality or the attachment to that card. You're not looking at saying to me, oh, Magnuson's at level, he's at 10% uh, bonus. Yeah. You're not saying, I'm not selling him because his bonus is at level. I'm not selling because it's just like the card. Yeah, I know. I say, to be honest, the bonuses, I know they play an awful part and are a good part in the in the tournaments, but the, the bonuses for me, I, I don't really pay too much attention to them, if I'm honest. I guess probably just ignorance on my behalf, but I don't really pay much attention to the bonus unless I'm buying a player from the secondary market who I want to be starting in my in my sort of lineup. So I'll have a look. And if there's, say, a player at 7.5% bonus and there's one at 6% bonus, I would be happy paying an extra whatever amount of ETH for the one with a slightly better bonus. But apart from that, I try and buy most of my cards from the, the auctions just because they tend to be, nine times out of ten, slightly less expensive but that's not it's not always the case that we've seen over the last few weeks of people paying silly money for cards that you could have just went and picked up on the on the secondary market so uh, yeah i guess that's a point again something i've never really thought about i don't actually pay that much attention to the bonus if i like the card then i'll keep it regardless what about yourself ross does uh, experience uh, and bonus level come into play i mean we're coming to the end of a season the european season now so cards being bought now really need to be trained quite aggressively to you know for when they lose their five percent in a couple of months time we've had the switch over from mls k league j league and now we're seeing new cards all coming in with a five percent so putting the aesthetics to one side does that play a factor for you when you're uh, you know making sales or, or looking to build pick up new 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 players i think so yeah i would say so um, it's something that you've definitely got to at least have in the back of your mind and I think you'll see from a lot of my early cards if you have a look a lot of them are now trained to sort of 5% level because I've basically just been aggressively training them like I've got a lot of training goalkeepers like for in comparison to how big my actual collection is so I've basically had every card in training for the whole of summer for MLS in Asia and I've come back with essentially higher than the base level that you would get from a new card. So I've set myself in a really good position. And I think uh, John Nellis has spoke about it on streams and stuff that when you get to the sort of top of these divisions, um, and I've not I've not been challenging so far since um, Asia's come back, unfortunately, I've been done by a few DMPs and stuff. But I think when it gets to that top level, the extra few percent definitely makes a difference. And I think, like you said, for timing, sentimentally, there's a few cards that I look at and I, I I've struggled to part ways with. I think Lewis Morgan being one hasn't helped that obviously he's Scottish and he was a bit of a hero last year. So uh, he, I've, I've hung on to him. Again, he, he's number 11. I'm pretty sure his, his shirt number is number 11. Um, and I've got the 11 serial, obviously. But yeah, he was he was picked up pretty cheap. And I think because he was such a hero and his scores have been so consistent. And I don't know, I've got him and Higuain. I've got big... I don't know why I've got big hopes for them because we've got Phil Neville in charge. So they're never going to do anything. But yeah, I've got, I kind of... I've got a... A little bit of a weird affinity for well, him. The, the players actually got a longer history left than Phil Phil Neville has in, <laughs> in, in manager. Uh, yeah, it's not not going to be good. I think actually there that point, Ross, that, that you touched on was when you get sort of into maybe say the top fifteen or whatever division you're playing in, the bonus really does kick in, and it's something that maybe not up to now that I've really thought, but I know moving forward, I, I'm trying to trying to shed off of some of my gallery to restructure really with September in mind. So. Um, I'm looking more at now trying to challenge in uh, across the different um, tournaments. So up until this point, really, it hasn't been 
it hasn't been something that I thought about, but I think I want to be more more um, sort of challenging top 20, top 15, top 10 in said D4 next year. So I think bonus is going to be something that I will be taking a lot more um, a careful look at sort of moving forward. But up until now, it's been a case of buy someone, sell them, build your gallery. Um, make well, the bonus much. can only help at the end of the day. But you know, if yeah. at the top at the top end of the leaderboards, you know, you see now the difference between selecting the right captain and the wrong captain. So if you've got four good scorers, but you've captained, you know, the fifth person that happens to be your worst scorer out of the five swords law, then you can you you, you can quickly see there the impact of oh, if only I'd captain that person instead of that person. And it is getting to the stage now, you know, regardless of whether it's in the top or competing, you know, to, you know, 10th to 50th or, you know, 50th to 100th, you'll look at the teams in and around where you finished. And the chances are you could put a net over, you know, 10, 20 teams within five, 10 points yourself. And yeah. then you, start to, you start to look at going, well, hang about, you know, if he'd had 3% extra and he'd had another few percent extra, then you know, maybe I could have got to there and there and there. So every little helps. And, yeah. uh, and, and, and as you said, Ross, you've set yourself up on a great path by, you know, making sure that you've stockpiled a load of goalkeepers, even if they're not starting goalkeepers. But that then gives you the ability to keep trading those at least four outfield players on a week to week basis. So when they are needed and when they are called upon and in a season or two seasons or three seasons from now, these guys will be, you know, level 15, level 18, level 20, and even someone coming in buying a brand new card like they would have done in the last 24 hours in career. Yes, they'll get a nice 5% and it won't take them many games for that five to jump up to eight or nine. But if you're sitting there with a, a stock of cards that have, have had real life of 12 months, 18 months of, uh, of XP pumped into them, then uh, yeah, you, 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 you're in a nice place. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I think we've just had a, another joiner, JW. Finally made it. Just the, the 45, 50 minutes late there. You all right? Let's see. Oh. <laughs> Whoa, that was a crazy ball. Hi, gentlemen. Well, thanks, guys. I think the next section we were going to look at is all the exciting news that's been going on this week in the community. So I think that started with the AC Milan announcement. And for me, that was, that was massive. So they're a club I've always enjoyed watching over the, over the years. They've had some superstars, haven't they, at, at the club from way back when, your legends like Maldini to guys you know, like Ronaldinho a bit more recently. So, yeah, huge, huge announcement, them coming onto the club. Obviously gives us the, the Milan derby there as well. Has anyone managed to, to pick up any? I've been trying to get a Donnarumma, but, yeah, just, just not managed to, to pull the trigger on them yet. Yeah, I haven't actually... I haven't dabbled in it at all. I just think, well, one, I have no Ethereum in my account. Um, so I will be trying to get on auctions um, until I can sort of gain some by trading. But I think just for me, and it, it's it's a very sort of personal thing anyway, is I, it, it sort of, it, it gets in my nerves just the fact that it's a bundle. I'd like to be able to auction on single players. Um, I, I mean, there's... Um, there's obviously a lot more than just my own annoyance at the bundle. Um, and it's just a, a personal thing. I'd like to, to see them individually, but I think I'd probably wait it out maybe until summer and then have a look um, at AC Milan. But actually, when, when the news broke, we were coming on the, the platform. It's a fantastic club to have on the platform with the history they have, like you you started to talk about there. Another big Italian 
Champions League um, team. Another derby to look forward to, so hopefully more special tournaments. Um, so, yeah, I think them coming on is excellent, but for me, just the minute I haven't, haven't really paid much attention to the, the auctions for them, just because I know they're in bundles, um, and I don't have the budget to jump in on an auction just at this point for a, a bundle. But again, that's the, like I said, it's very... Who would you like? Great. So if, if they were individual auctions and, and money was no object, what what players would you be looking at? It would be, and it, it, might, it would probably be a waste of Ethereum depending on what happens, but Ibrahimovic, just because he's an absolute legend, um, he would be, he's score well, and he, he's just an all-round hero. Um, I think he would, he would uh, be the number one purchase. Um, I would say that would be who I'd go after, but yeah, well, he's coming down in value. I can tell you that. I, I also went into last week with with precious little ether on my balance, and uh, was what. But I still watched every single as many of the bundles play out as I could. And you know, you got that initial hype, which I think you see on a lot for the you know first editions that came out. I think any of the bundles that had the Donnarumma, the real one, don't uh, fat finger click. He's a older brother and a pair of fortune over the odds for, for him. But it was interesting to see that so many of these bundles were attempted to be flipped straight away. There are, I would say, close to 70% of the Milan cards are, are on the market and available. Yes, you know, we can all have our own opinions about what prices they've been listed at. But for me, it was quite fascinating to watch. They've all been undercut every day. Oh, undercut, yeah. Undercut. Uh, Ibrahimovic now is sitting at 1.18, which, yeah. okay, yeah, maybe to some people that might be value, to some it might be, you know, well, where's the utility there? He's, he's 38, is he going to play any more games? But if you look at how many Ronaldos are in the game, okay, people can argue that Ronaldo's superior to to Ibra, but we've had we've had Ronaldo now for two seasons. There's a quite a significant supply of Ronaldos if you want one. Whereas yeah. Ibrahimovic now is what on, on number 20 or 22 or whatever that however many editions have been uh, auctioned in the last uh, week or so. So, you know, if Ibrahimovic does retire in the summer, then we could be in a scenario where, you know, wind the clock forward 12 months, 20,000, 50,000, 100,000 potential use on the database, might only be 50 Ibras available. Um, yeah. Um, you know, so from a collector's point of view, that could be an interesting card. I think we'll, we've just had a another joiner here. So we've got John Wallen, JW, also known as Fantasy Gaffer on, on Twitter. Welcome, John. Thank you all for having me. This is a great chat. Welcome, I, uh, with a club like AC Milan coming in, and maybe you guys have covered it, I've tried to do some research. You know, Sora, they already have the deal in place with AC Milan. So it's not about getting the badge and the jersey. When or if... You know, do you think we start seeing legends cards come out? So players who are already retired, you know, get a Maldini, get a Van Bastian, get a, you know, Andrei Shevchenko. Do you think that's, that's in, bad pun, do you think that's in the cards for the near future? Or do you think the individual licensing agreements there are just going to be uh, maybe time prohibitive for a platform that's growing as fast as so rare is? I think the answer to that is is it's down to the individual clubs and, and Nicholas or, and and I think they've got a gentleman now that uh, Alberto that uh, is is talking to the clubs on a day to day basis and I think uh, again we've got it with PSG and they've got that David Beckham card which uh, is is available at auction now dating back to 2012 and I think there's a quirky rule in place there that as long as the person is still alive beyond I think it was 2011 then you know, that the, the team can then use that uh, back 
catalogue of, of of legends or retired players from from a particular club. So, I think it really does come down to you know the the, the agreements that uh, is, is is signed up in the first place, and some clubs might allow it, and some clubs won't. And you know maybe as we've seen over time, if other clubs seem see others following going oh hang about they've released that one it's another line of revenue that uh, could potentially be opened up and if it's uh, pitched to them correctly and it's not uh, infringing on other copyrights or, or, or player image rights then can't see why a club wouldn't at some point uh, accept and uh, grant permission to uh, yeah open these up yeah, something i think we see more of in the future and i don't think it's probably priority number one on nicholas and the team's list obviously we, we need to get <laughs> all of the the clubs on the, the platform first and foremost being a fundamentally a fantasy football game giving the, the utility element of the game the attention first and foremost and then you can grow the stuff around that i think that probably takes us on to to looking at one of the, the other announcements this week and that was the, the new k-league 2021 cards and also the the rookie cards that have came with that so the, the first edition of actual rookie cards that have been that have some designation on them um, within the game. So with the, the new K-League announcements, we've got maybe, I don't know, 30 to, to 40 different young players. So yeah, it allows us to, to start looking at these cards more from a collectibles point of view. I think it's, we've touched on it earlier that this is probably fairly new. Not everyone is on the platform is really that focused on this side of things. And they are really looking at more from a, a gameplay element, but I've certainly seen a, a huge level of excitement from people I speak to around these cards. Um, looking at some of the designs we've seen, it's, it's beautiful. I'm, I'm, I'm really excited about these designs and I can't wait to see them on the MLS cards and on the, the European cards going forward. They're going to be lovely. Yeah, I think we, we briefly touched on it maybe not while recording like the new cards like we said look shiny whereas the sort of older cards as such are kind of like a matte finish i think that really makes the card stand out that bit more i think with just with having thought about and seen different sort of opinions on the rookie cards um i don't think i actually i won't have any um from maybe say last year or this year but what does it i don't know you'll probably usually know usually have good opinions as well. What, what way do you think it, it sits with managers who say have went out and bought young talent in their first year on the platform, maybe breakthrough season, but now sort of technicalities or they won't be a rookie card as such because they won't be in the new edition of cards. How, how do you think that will sit with managers who've went out maybe specifically to buy a card that's, that's been on the platform already? But I think already I've, I've seen a, a few people worrying about this or thinking, what does that mean about my rookie Cherokee? I think if anything, it's going to make those original cards even more unique. For me, I, I don't need to have that shiny badge on a card to say this is a rookie. But I think it does meet the needs from the physical collectible space and, and the guys that have came from, from there. That's something they're looking for. They want that reassurance that this has been classed as a, a rookie card. I'm quite happy to to not have that, but I think yeah. What, what we'll see I mean, is that's it. what I thought In, instantly. My instant reaction was, well, Turkey of last year is actually more valuable now because they've put a timestamp on when it has to be a rookie. That was my instant reaction, and I haven't really seen any sort of um, any of the the reaction or the comments on on Twitter. I, I 
try to take a back seat on Twitter most of the time. So I haven't really delved into too much, but my instant reaction was that makes those cards even more valuable than having the the sort of RC or the the stamp as such on there on the, the new rookie cards moving forward. Yeah, I think you already see it on the, the 2018-19 cards. You see it on cards that have got short print runs. You see it on some of the, the other special editions, so Dreamweave ones and and, uh, and all, all sorts of PSG 50, 50th anniversary. So I think that will eventually, as we see, you know, three, four, five, six, sevens worth of rookie cards that have got the this new shiny badge on them, there'll then be those people looking at cards back at 2018 2019 some of the lower print runs where the the player actually made their their rookie debut so yeah uh, it's, it's an interesting concept for for me it doesn't play a huge part in my, my day-to-day approach it's, it's more about the gameplay but i think we're all taking more of a notice off the, the collectible side of things and this is as part of that so yeah it, it's going to be a bigger part of this game going forward but you can also just not get yourself involved in that side of things and, and just simply play the SO5. Yeah, it's really nice to be aware, and particularly if you have any kind of background coming from, you know, collectible physical media, because it impacts the auction platform regardless, right? We're all dealing with a finite supply. We're all trying to make good purchasing decisions and doing that valuation. And if I'm not attuned to the fact that someone's trying to buy a card because it matches the player's real life uniform number or because it's their first season with a new team and they're trying to collect uh, you know, every iteration or every jersey of that player, all of a sudden I'm, I'm at a disadvantage because I don't understand why this card's getting bid up uh, you know, beyond where maybe I valued it from a purely fantasy perspective or from a purely uh, individual tournament perspective, right? If I'm trying just to fill out my, you know, my D3 squad and I put a certain price on something and someone comes in with a, a bid that's 20% higher than I put the valuation on it, it's helpful to have that context. And these conversations really help inform that for new players. Yeah, I think as we touched on with Ross earlier, um, at the moment, when you look at someone's gallery, that you don't have that backstory behind a card. And I'm sure, you know, wind the clock forward two, three, five years from now, the rookie cards that you've just you know, highlighted there that were created before this new official rookie card stamp, you know, there must, I would hope and expect there'd be something on the platform, whether it be within our galleries or whether it be in a short description that we can curate ourselves that we'll be able to put that on to make it a little bit more obvious for those that, uh, you know, came afterwards and uh, didn't realise that Rookie Card wasn't around from day one. That's it, yeah. I think we'll, we'll have the ability to, to highlight and showcase these guys that maybe have even more of a, a special appeal to these collectors. So that probably almost takes us into another question, something that's been going around on the, the timeline quite a bit over the, the last few weeks, and, and that is around whether a, a new scarcity is needed. And I know we've touched on it in, on the last couple of pods, but I, th- I think it, there's still a, a lot of conversation around these. And, and so I think it's important just to, to touch on that. I think I'm potentially in the, the camp of this is needed. I think... The price to enter the game is getting a, a bit prohibitive um, to the, the mass market. And yeah, that's where we're really trying to, to bring this game, isn't it? So Nicholas has talked about that in the past, that he wants to, to have millions of people playing this game. This to, to be the, the FIFA of fantasy football. So in order to do so, it needs to be accessible. 
and it needs to be accessible in different ways. And, and one of those ways is from a, a financial perspective. And I think it is quite clear that we're seeing rising prices uh, across the board. And there are ways of playing within certain budgets, but even that certain budget that you can play with and, and build up a, a team. Some people who, who want to and are attracted by the proposition of this game simply can't afford to, to do so. So although we're seeing massive user growth in the, the last month, we've seen the amount of users who have one card or more double from about just under 6,900 to nearly 14,000 managers. That's significantly scaled up. I think there's even more managers that are sitting on the fringes who really want to get involved with this. Can't, just too expensive for them. They don't have two, three, four, five hundred thousand dollars to actually start to participate. So can I, can I, can I throw in for a, me, uh, they're, they're... a side, side ball there? And I'm not saying I disagree. I'm not saying I disagree. Yeah. I think it's inevitable. It will come. Will it come before the start? of the next European season I don't think so I think we've got a summer of you know making do with the supply of the 110 one as we see it today for me I think the overall supply or the lack of supply or dwindling supply is exaggerated because the focus again of the platform is so heavy on form when someone comes into the platform when someone came into the platform 18 months ago we didn't have the luxury of being able to say oh right let's i'm, I'm only going to go for those that have got an l5 score of 50 or above you know we just it was a gathering phase we just picked up whatever cards we could possibly get within the within the budgets that we were working within and then we put together our teams now because there's so much great content out there from the community what to avoid what to what not to get you know it's almost like everyone's being shoehorned into You've got to buy these players or, you know, if you're a budget investor, these are the players you've got to get. If you've got no budget, then you can go and buy these superstars. So everyone's almost being told now, this is how to play SO5. Oh, you've got a bad goalkeeper. Delete your account. Start again. You need one of these goalkeepers to get going. Yep, that's right. And so oh, there's a lot more supply. We've got 125, 130 clubs, whatever it happens to be on the market at the moment. But I personally feel that a very high percentage of the cards are just automatically dismissed because they are not suitable for SO5. So what that leads to is this new increase in managers and we're all fighting for the same person. One Lewandowski comes around every 24 hours, boom, everyone's got to get hold of him. You know, one of the, you know, budget players that someone's, you know, researched meticulously and has, has filtered out through various social channels. This guy no longer is 0.03, 0.04 because people know about him. All of a sudden, that's a 0.15 card. I think the focus on these cards uh, is that we're only, we're not even utilising, you know, the full supply. And until Serrere give us a reason to want to own tier three, tier two players more often because they have or they will be given more utility in the future. I think, again, just a, a small cross-section of cards is is looked at. People will obviously, you know, pick up a few here and there from elsewhere. But I, I see that as being the fundamental difference, not just the cost. Um, I, I think it's, I think you've got to look at it from a sort of, you've got to take a step back and think like it doesn't really matter what position I'm in. So for example, I'm pretty set um, where I am and I, I can afford to be trading in the rares and sort of the occasional super rare here and there. Um, I think it's more, if, if we're talking about people onboarding and then they look at it and they say, oh, I've got to pay a couple hundred quid for a goalkeeper who I barely even know, I'm not going to watch their games, he's just there because I need a goalkeeper to play SO5, well, that sort of thing. There has to be something scalable before that because when I first come onto the platform, it was feasible that you could go and spend £100 on a keeper like Maximenko, who's under 23 and, and one of the better goalkeepers playing for a dominant team and he's raising the league, something like that. Like he's, a, he's a top goalkeeper. Nowadays, you're, you know, you, I think one went for about 0.8 ETH. So you're looking at like £1,000 for a goalkeeper like that. 
it's just it's, it's not going to be it's not good for the long-term success of the platform and if they do it right if they don't do it in too large a number and if they actually because they've got game economists and all this kind of thing that come in and they'll be thinking about this pretty analytically i would imagine they'll get people to come in decide the number and eventually what you'll see is if they bring it in if they keep rares as powerful as they are and i think they've said that they want to do that and they've also said that that might lead to further divisions if they do it that way I don't see it actually affecting it that much higher above. Like the people that already yeah. at, the, at the rare section, they're not necessarily going to then drop down and say, oh, do you know what? I'm going to play for lesser prizes. If, if they're able to play higher up, they'll play higher up. Um, yeah, it, I, just, I, it adds another I mean. level to the platform, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, that's that's it. So like from a selfish point of view, yeah, scrap it off. Don't bring in a new scarcity. But actually, because the likes of us, we have our, our galleries built and we can play and whatever, from with the addition of a new scarcity coming in, we would actually benefit as well from that with the influx of users. So right now in this very sort of moment, um, it, it's beneficial for me and, and for us if, if there isn't one, but actually for long-term security of the, the platform, for long-term benefits that we would reap on a, a slower reward. Yeah, I think... A new scarcity probably will help, and I probably will come along. Um, but the printing of all of the cards on all of the teams probably should be the, the, the focus, which is obviously going to get to a point because of all of the auctions that's going on. Um, so I can see both sides of it, certainly. I, I, I definitely want to see it because, as, as you said, Ross, you know, we don't want to be sitting here in a you know, in a bubble with, you know, just 10,000 people playing high stakes fantasy football and then it being not accessible to, you know, the masses, uh, you know, Nicholas and the team, they want to build it out. What I don't want to see is a new scarcity come on board right now at a time where all that's going to happen is that an Mbappe uncommon is going to start selling for pretty much, you know, you know, it, it's, that's not going to solve the, solve the problem because the same people that we want to get involved and buy more cards the uncommon versions of the top 10, top 15% of cards, they'll just uh, end up finding, you know, ridiculously high levels and people will still overlook, you know, lesser known rares and even to an extent lesser known super rares. So I think just, just throwing in more supply right now until we've got more, you know, change in prizes, change in, you know, divisional structure and it makes sense to, you know, I want a, someone to come in and, and, and if they're looking at it and go, I'll tell you what, I want to overlook buying an, an Mbappe uncommon because it makes more sense for me to buy 10, 15 rares that I can build an all-star division four team with an under 23 division four team with and a regional division four team. But we know from, you know, just watching how people behave as soon as they jump onto the platform is that they'll go and buy Mbappe uncommon and then worry about oh, what four players should I put around him. And then they'll be like, oh, well, I'm only able to com compete in Division 5. And, oh, no, the prize aren't good enough for me. Oh, the, the, the platform's too expensive. And, and, we, and we have the same, the same cycle, but, you know, just one division or two divisions shunted down to sort of counter arguments that we're getting today. Yeah, so I think that's kind of where I was coming from. I think that you've put it much more elegantly than I have. I think that's probably my also thought process is you don't want to sort of give this avenue onto the platform and that avenue come to a dead end because it still is expensive to jump from say division five or whatever up to the next so yeah i think that probably sort of summarizes what i would, would be thinking as well 
It's a, a very delicate one and you know, a, a difficult, challenging task for the, the team. I'm sure they're having, having sleepless nights trying to figure out the, the best yeah. way to implement this. I wouldn't want to be doing it. That's it. I think the fact that it is taking a, a bit of time, that's reassuring. Um, I wouldn't have, have liked there just to be, like Mark, you mentioned there, just a, a new scarcity added in. It does need to come with everything else. So with a, a new scarcity, there will be potentially several overhauls of the, the structure, the, the payouts. And I think it comes in time um, iteratively. It's not a, a big bang. We all of a sudden have millions of, of new cards available. It's it's a, it's a really difficult one. And I think it will be interesting to see from Nicholas and the team what they've been looking at, what they've been doing so far, and when we're, we're likely to, to get more news on this. I think there's, a, there's obviously a, a lot of speculation. We've, all, all four of us, have just given different points of view, different ideas of what might happen, what could happen if, if those, those scenarios go ahead. And that happens even more so on all the other social media channels and people jump into conclusions on things. I think we just need to to wait and see what's going to, to come. I think the the way that this will be delivered will be with the, the good off the, the platform at the, the, the core of it. It'll be with a view to enabling mass adoption, with a view of not screwing over the existing user base, the, the people who have been passionate and built, helped build up this successful game so there's now over 10,000 of us all enjoying this on a, a regular basis yeah. the team want to, to continue that and allow us to continue to, to enjoy this but also take it to the next level well, I think so, the biggest fundamental yeah, difference that, or the challenge that they face is that this game and the distribution of the NFTs that we all now own and we all now uh, have in our collections is done by auction. And had this, had the game, and I know we all know the reasons why it can't be done this way, but had the game been open where someone can walk in, buy a pack, have a X percent chance of winning unique and a X Y percent chance of winning a super rare, then the distribution of these cards would be a lot fairer, arguably, other than those that are buying hundreds and hundreds of packs versus someone buying one pack. But someone coming in today and starting their, their Surair career is going to find it more challenging to compete with someone that started six months, 12 months, 18 months, 24 months ago. Whereas someone coming into an environment where you could buy a pack, you know, could quite easily come in today and go, right, I'm going to buy 100 packs. Chances are I'm going to have a few uniques in there. Chances are I'm going to have a few super rares in there. So I think all these new, you know, in-game economy decisions, you know, are made that more difficult because we aren't able to buy the cards through, you know, packs that you, you know, you, you could potentially buy in other NFT games or, you know, other normal day-to-day games, which is a different mindset for, for, for managers. So when someone does come in with a budget and go, right, what can I buy for my money? And they do look at the markets as it, as it is today, then it is going to be, I can buy one superstar with nothing, no supporting cast, or I can buy a load of people that perhaps, you know, no one else really is showing any interest or is telling me that I should buy. So, you know, all right. So it doesn't really matter if there's a thousand auctions on the market every day, 2000 auctions, it's irrelevant at the moment. One of the things that you guys have been talking around though, or couching it in terms of economic terms is also the knowledge that you all have from having played for a really long time. And there is a really steep learning curve for people, even experienced fantasy players coming over from daily fantasy sports, coming over from uh, you know, traditional newspaper or you know, um, salary cap kind of fantasy games, coming over from draft style fantasy games. 
And because of the increase in the cost of the underlying cryptocurrency uh, against you know, the dollar or the euro or other fiat currencies, and because of the uh, transparency around the payout structure, it's really hard for a new user to come in and do anything except target that 205 threshold, that 250 threshold in the division four global all-star, because you're trying to you know, be successful. And the idea that there's no utility for the cards that don't help you get there, I think is true. It does miss the mark a little bit in terms of the sheer breadth of cards that can help get you there. So like I've been doing a lot of work around MLS with that season upcoming, being American, having a little bit more knowledge um, and acuity in that space. And I'll just say like, when you look at, you know, we, we call them grinders, right? Like guys that'll help you get to that level of being able to cash, a, you know, an ETA, uh, ETH award there are probably 40, 40, 40 defenders that can do that. So when you look at 40 defenders times 100 cards, there's going to be plenty of cards there. The platform's not so big, but you're also focused on those cards. You're saying, those are the cards I have to prioritize, and I'm better off spending 0.2 ETH on a player that can get me there than I am spending you know, 0.05 on five cards to speculate or to test myself in three or four different tournaments because I understand that the utility in terms of a fantasy perspective for those cards, it's never going to put me in the cash because there are too many established players, which again, is not, it's not a slight on established players, but the reality is the gallery depth there doesn't permit a new player to come in with an established bankroll and having a knowledge gap, right? So a division five would help with that. Having you know, more, more content around that does help and it helps people be successful earlier, which I do think is one of the large bars to retaining users right now. And I mean, I, I, I co-founded a fantasy game. I, I worked on this problem intimately for five years. Like it is, it's incredibly challenging. And I think that Sora has done a very good job with it, but the, the twin sort of, or the perfect storm of ETH rising in price, their growth um, going large and the influx of sort of celebrity collectors coming in and dropping big prices has put their game probably in a position that they weren't anticipating six or seven months ago. No, that's, that's, that's great insight. And I'm fascinated to, to hear what, what uh, you've built and, uh, and, and got involved in the past, but I think collectively, I think we've, we've probably just nailed all the challenges that <laughs> Sarah have got on their desk at this, uh, at this current moment in time. And again, I think one thing which, is a positive whilst we wait for these changes to be implemented is that it's creating opportunity and I say depending on you know when you joined what your budget is you know I think the market still provides opportunity for for people to undertake different strategies while still maintaining a, you know an incredibly high level of overall enjoyment uh, from the game itself plus the, uh, the the community spirit and and and, and community content that's you know just overflowing right now. So, guys, it's been a, an absolute pleasure having you all on. I think this has been a, a bit of a, a whirlwind. You're welcome. So, as always, guys, really, it has been a, a pleasure having you all on. Thank you again. Yeah, no, thanks I, for thanks for having us. Yeah. I'd say, if anything, Harvey, let's let's go big on this one, and let's let's get an hour and twenty, hour and thirty, and sod anyone that says it's too long. Let's let us let us leave as much of this in as possible because it's been real good. I've I've enjoyed it. It's been a pleasure, guys. Really enjoyed it. Pleasure. So that brings us to the end of today's Sorear Global Fantasy Football Podcast. I hope you found it useful. And as always, if you could like, subscribe and leave a review, then we can help introduce the fantastic concept to more users. See you next time.